It is. Yes, you are. What is Ergo, Damon? Oh, man. You know, it's a cool thing we do. I'm Damon. Yeah. Strong young voice in Chicago and beyond. Uh, young is, a, is like a construct. I want to like... <laughs> is our show ageist is the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I feel like we like... There's some like old people who like... Everybody's young right. in relation to the grand scheme of I things. I hope you're okay, people. I hope you're having a good day. I always like to ask that. How you doing? <laughs> Is that to me or to the no, people? No, it's to the people. All right, I won't tell you what I'm doing. Now. All right, I wasn't Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> every week a different live long-form interview with a uh, artist, writer, creator, organizer, person reshaping the culture of the city for the fresher and more equitable. Uh, we have a very special guest here in the Post Loudness Ergo Shout studio. Shout out Post Loudness gang, gang gang Yeah, it's this podcast collective we're part of. They've been nice enough to let us like basically take over their recording yes. studio for a couple days. Every time I say Post Loudness, I rub the soundproof wall. <laughs> it's that, that's, that y'all cannot see, but you're doing it with like yes. a like a come hither look in it's, your it's eyes. It's almost like um, what's that movie? Get him to the Greek, like the rub the fuzzy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> go we never record pa- this early this is- pause the podcast go watch this mediocre comedy from 2013 and then we'll come back uh, <laughs> like, oh, not. we're All recording right. super early in the morning so we're a little loopy uh if if i doze off in the middle just give me a little elbow okay all right it won't be a judgment on how interesting our guest is all right <laughs> speaking of which we have a fantastic guest uh, i'm really excited to have here a brilliant visual artist organizer uh lovely important uh forceful presence monica trinidad yeah yeah hey. <laughs> <laughs> that was i think bad. i'm doing new animals so. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a hawk on the yeah, last yeah, one yeah yeah oh man how are oh, you waking fe- me up <laughs> yeah, i'm so excited to have you here like yeah. I think this is going to be an exciting interview because there are like things that i just want to learn and don't know about you monica so i'm excited yeah. to get to know more about you, because I see you all the time. We share so much space mm-hmm. together. How, how are you feeling today? How's the world treating you? How are you treating it? I'm feeling good. Yeah, I am working on installing at the National Museum of Mexican Art right now. I saw um, that you were like on yeah, Instagram. Like, doing the time-lapse yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experimenting with that. Um, so I'm a little exhausted prepping for that. The show opens next Friday. Um, so I'm just running around. Uh, tell us about it. All right. Yeah, give us All a right. formal plug. This is a good right. time, man. Okay. This is like pro <laughs> promo time right here. Yeah. Promo, promo so, time. yeah, the uh, the National Museum of Mexican Art, they're doing their annual Dia de los Muertos, um, Day of the Dead celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, they This is the 30th year, um, mm-hmm. so it's a beautiful anniversary. Um, they approached me about doing a Black Lives Matter altar. Okay. Um, they've never done this before. Wow. Um, it's mostly just been you know folks of Latinx origin um, who have been honored in, in these altars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, yes, definitely, wow. um, in collaboration with Black Lives Matter Chicago. So Aislinn's helping me out a lot oh, with this. Wow. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm building up an altar. Um, 
It will be in the last room. There's like three, yeah, mm-hmm. one, two, three, maybe four rooms, three or four rooms. Um, and it'll be in the last room with um, an altar from, um, they flew out like someone from Orlando. So they'll have an altar dedicated to folks in the Pulse oh, nightclub mm-hmm. shooting um, wow. right across from mine. Wow. So it'll be a really intense that's room, powerful. but a very powerful room. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna be honoring about six people who have lost their, who have been murdered by police officers in Chicago. Okay, um, specific. yeah, okay. Chicago specific. Um, so you know, honoring, remembering the life of Ronnie Man, Ricky Boyd, um, um, Rashad McIntosh, mm. um, folks like that. Wow. Yeah. Mm. How's powerful. Yeah. How's the process been putting it together? What's been tricky? Have you done stuff like this before? Mm-hmm. I have not. I've not done an install before. So this is, yeah, the first day was super easy. It was like watching the curator and like the like handyman like putting in the shelving and it, like I gave them a design of how I how I envision like the infrastructure of the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like watching them be like, uh, you know, is this okay? Is this okay? I'm like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, put that <laughs> shelf there. <laughs> Two inches higher. Um, is that's been great. And so um, and then I was like, yeah, I want yellow. I want a yellow wall. You know, for Black Lives Matter Chicago or Black Lives Matter in general, national colors. Um, yeah, but then day two of the install was a little hard. Um, I've never really worked with, like, fabric before. Like, that's not my medium that I usually use. I'm usually, like, I have, like, a canvas or, like, a watercolor sheet. That's, like, that's it. So, like, working large scale, like, wrapping this these shelves with fabric and trying to, like, measure and, like, cutting the fabric too short. And then, crap, I ran out of fabric. It's just mm. it's a little bit of a headache. But I, I'm telling myself that this is going to be, like, the hardest part of, of, of the altar you know, is like, like physically, but then I'm like, well, emotionally, mentally, it's not the hardest part mm-hmm. yet because now after I, you know, do a lot of the infrastructure, then I'm going to have to like place like items from the families onto the altar, you know, like actual you know, items. So like Ronnie Man, um, I'm not sure what I'm getting from Ronnie Man right now, actually, but um, oh, no, I have a hat. I have a hat from Ronnie Man that Dorothy gave me and then a um, like a bottle of one of his favorite drinks and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm... That'll be a little, you know, emotionally difficult, of course. Um, but yeah. yeah, I love watching people do things they've never done before <laughs> and be in the midst of it and figuring it out. I mean, so I heard uh, this Louis C.K. quote last week where he says basically like, uh, yeah, it might be a thing I've never done before, but I've done other things I'd never done before before. <laughs> <laughs> and this mm-hmm. it, like the I, I think it works for artists. It works for pretty much damn near anyone mm-hmm. trying to make something. Like having that that confidence that like yeah I don't know what all the small steps are yet uh, to like accomplish mm-hmm. the big goal but yeah. yeah I think I can figure it out yeah um, and I think at least for me that comes from just making a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. for you like when it's whether it's approaching this project or you know even on the organizing side like at what point did you become comfortable going like yeah I'm not sure exactly how this will work fully but I feel comfortable kind of jumping and taking a shot mm-hmm. and, and leading on this yeah I feel like any like I mean, to me, my personal opinion is that art, you know, art is your expression and it's like what you whatever you create as like a mode of like expressing yourself or as like a mode of healing, like that's art. Mm -hmm. So like I just tell myself that no matter how this turns out or how this looks when I'm done, like this is just my expression and like my statement on, you Mm -hmm. know, what I'm feeling. Um, So, yeah, I just try to do that mantra in my head, (laughs) especially as it's coming out like, oh, this isn't looking good, (laughs) but that's okay. It's art. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, is, is this your first time working with the museum? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. that's really interesting. And, and like, man, I kind of got goosebumps hearing you describe it, especially um, 
as there are always like more and more conversations on the political front around mm-hmm. like black and brown solidarity. So mm-hmm. just like um, the spatial significance of mm-hmm. that space being made and the like crossing of cultures um, in ways that sound very intentional and very respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just talk more about like that dynamic and some of the like beauty and originality and like there has to be some pressure mm-hmm. involved with one like you know we see Dorothy we see Ronnie Mann's mother we see this mm-hmm. their families it's, these are like real human stories mm-hmm. to you and us and I yeah. um, and then to, to be in a space that has significance right on an institutional level but mm-hmm. like you are doing this this crossover that is so important and so fragile and vulnerable in mm-hmm. ways so talk about how that feels yeah and bringing yeah. that into this space yeah yeah, it, it's it's definitely a lot of pressure, but I think it's a it's a beautiful um, example of the ways in which brown people and Latinx people are 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 finally sort of like realizing this like intrinsic tie to our liberations together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and recognizing like that these are that these are very like we have shared oppressions but very mm-hmm. different experiences. Right, right. Um, and it's really beautiful to like see that sort of you know thought evolve. Um, mm. Yeah, and and I think you know talking with the curator of the of the museum um, in preparation for this, you know, he's like, "This is a really you know like w- this is a political thing, you know, regardless of whether you put Black Lives Matter you know front and center or if you don't, it's still a very political mm-hmm. thing to have in, in the museum." Um, especially with just like the various conversations that might be happening in the in the other rooms right mm-hmm. like for example i know that there is a school that is installing a um ofrenda like in the next room um and their school is named after a cpd officer who <laughs> was killed in the line of duty mm-hmm. um and i and i know they had an ofrenda dedicated to him at one point mm-hmm. and now the school is creating an ofrenda and i don't know whether or not it's going to like include some sort of like salute to him right. um but it's that, that juxtaposition, that conversation that can happen is really important and really, mm. you know, it, it's a good intervention into, like, what I'll see in the next room. Yeah. Um, and to your point about mm-hmm. that that kind of uh, increasing understanding of the way that those that, that resistances are interwoven uh, and liberations are interwoven, man, it's very early to be saying sentences like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, but Trevor, we're acting like it's like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> People have been at work for hours already. <laughs> it's not actually that. Early. We got to get our shit together. Podcast life, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, there's there's that side. And then there's also, you know, the, the that's not a like singular increased understanding. There's just like with any of this, there's the other side and, and the reaction where, where folks are, are building up the walls between it, in the face of like calls for solidarity. Mm-hmm. How I mean, we were talking a little little bit about this too. I'm in the midst of reading this book, uh, and and a bunch of books actually about. That was a very pretentious sentence. I'll edit that out. I'm in the midst of reading this book. <laughs> oh no, you don't get to edit it out. I'm gonna talk right now. I'm to the make producer. Sure that people hear that you're editing this. Out. We're going clean. We're going raw, man. Be pretentious if you're pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading this thing about the. Uh, like basically the bargain for for enfranchisement or the which in this country ends up being the bargain for whiteness right so for me in the context of being jewish uh like i'm trying to understand how that bargain happened and happens uh i think like in this contemporary moment just it's come up through other organizing work is the ways that different latinx communities in this city and just in general 
are, are trying to figure out is that bargain worth it basically and what are the ways that you like push against that or or, or, or like individuals and communities making that choice mm-hmm. am mm-hmm. i completely out of my depth no i mean i think i understand you what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um so this the zine collective that i'm a part of that i helped co-found in like 20 2013 wow 20 2012 or 2013 um we're called brown and proud press mm-hmm. and our last zine we just put out um, is called Unchallenging Anti-Blackness in our in our communities, basically. Mm. Um, and it's a split, actually, because um, the majority of people in Brown and Proud Press right now are like um, Latinx or South Asian or Indian or, um, yeah, um, Arab. And so we had all of these different personal experiences about how people have challenged anti-blackness in their communities and mm. their families within themselves. Um, and then we split the zine with another zine collective in um, the Bay Area. They're called Moonroot. Um, and they are an API um, collective, mm. queer people um, doing radical organizing in the Bay. Um, and so then they also created a zine on challenging anti-blackness within their spaces and communities and put the scene together and we've done like we've made oh my god hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies and distroed it all across the country um and we do workshops here locally with like classrooms and programming um and it's just it's it's really beautiful to be able to take to take the zine and show especially young people um like young latinx people just how important it is to like and how not scary it is to just share your experiences and mm-hmm. emphasizing how we are so we have so much ingrained in our brains from just like hetero patriarchy racist white supremacy like there's so much embedded in us that like when we talk about this stuff it's really uncomfortable it's really mm-hmm. scary we're gonna say something that we're, we're gonna mess up and that's okay like having these workshop spaces where saying that and emphasizing that it's okay to mess up is like super important for these young people mm-hmm. so so where on like your personal journey because I you know it's kind of like a crew of folks in the city that like you know kind of have it figured out from like my like vantage point right like they kind of know what oh, they're yeah, talking they? about and, and you are one of them right like if something no. gets said and and i think you also um make space or reshape space in a way um that allows people to be where they are um but it, you know I'm, I'm giving an example like we, we were at freedom square and i think i was even like trying to make a joke to get people to participate and I was talking about like isms mm-hmm. and I might've said like participate, don't be lame. Right. And then like you went through like five minutes later and like explain something. And then also say like how that word was also like ableist. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh yeah, for sure. Like, and like for the last month I've been like working on it. And, and right. That was just an example of like, you kind of, you kind of got shit figured out in that, in that realm. <laughs> Where in the personal, um, on your personal journey, did you figure out this intersection of Latin identity or Latinx struggles and anti-blackness, right? Like, mm-hmm. How did you come about like intersecting those two? Because I think they can often and yeah. are very much intentionally separated. Yeah. Um, and is it from experience? And why is it so important? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there and ask more questions. I do. I, I remember that exact moment where it clicked for me, actually. It's, um, it was right after Mike Brown was killed. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people were enraged, rightfully so. And I And so I posted on Facebook, like, my rage as well and being like you know this is absurd like this is you know police you know like their their historical existence is based in you know like slave patrol and based Mm -hmm. in like awful horrificness and so 
But then I had put like, you know, black and brown people are being murdered by police, black and brown. And I kept I kept I kept saying black and brown, black and brown. Um, And someone actually commented and was like, I hear you. I hear your rage and I hear your anger. But this isn't about brown people right now. This is about black people Mm -hmm. being systematically murdered by police. Mm -hmm. And like, I really think you should reconsider your wording in this post. And like, I'm coming at you with love. And like, you know, this is, you know, and I was Mm -hmm. like, whoa, (laughs) whoa. I had never like one. I had never been like called like called out, yeah. and like two. I was like my and my first instinct was like, but but right. what you know? But then I was like, whoa, this is like this is a call out, and like this is real, and it's actually it's it's with love, you know. Like this person and I still talk, and like they actually a year later they actually were like, I'm so sorry for the way that I called you out on that. Mm. Like that was really intense and like public, and I shouldn't have done that. And I was like, no, like that was like a learning point for me. That was like that sh- that shifted like my perspective on so many things, and it really shifted like my work and mm. like my work ethic and like how I how I create visual art and like thinking about how I need to how important it is to center those that are most directly impacted. You know, like yes, brown people are murdered by police. Yes, of course, but it's a very different experience. You know, so that was definitely like a, a changing. A turning point for me. They only commented a year later, by the way, because it came up on that Facebook one year ago. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're <laughs> the like, oh man, that was that was really something, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I have like a couple more questions, kind of like in this like realm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out which order is best, but but I, I'll start with this. So I think to that black and brown question, as like I've been in more like intentionally black political spaces, mm-hmm. something I experience a lot when I get like asked to speak. Um, it's like as we're talking, somebody may may stand up and just like talk about themselves usually, mm-hmm. whatever their thing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the one <laughs> and there's like a list of like four to five things. Like I'm white and I think I'm nice, <laughs> but my grandparents grew up in this oh, place. God. And what do I do? Right. Like that's like that's like what one do you of do? the please tell me. Yeah, you have all the answers. Yes. And, and then the other thing is always like, what about black and brown solidarity? Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're in this space. Like it was one time, it was like a Black Panther screening. It was like, you know, we're talking about blackness. And it was like, absolutely. But I just want you to know that this does feel disruptive. I would never come to, you know, a, a movie on immigration struggles through generations and mm-hmm. say, what about black people? Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, accounting for like the historical and contemporary need for solidarity, right? Which mm-hmm. is how this conversation started. So in what ways, before I get irritated, right? I, I do also <laughs> know that we can do better because I think in relationship. The, the solidarity is there, but in action, I think as a movement, mm-hmm. the black-centered spaces have not done enough to support or or physically show how our, our struggles are intersected, even if mm-hmm. we have the personal relationships or the language to mm-hmm. say that. So in what ways do you see, mm-hmm. because I think since the Mike Brown moment, mm-hmm. I've seen such an intentional showing up yeah, um, from, from the Latinx community and particularly like the brown identity. Mm-hmm. Um, in what ways can that, can that be reciprocated better? Hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, the, I mean, this is obviously not Latinx, but the, the the first thing I keep thinking about is just seeing all all of the beautiful presence that Black Lives Matter has had at Standing Rock mm-hmm. um, mm. in recent time, and that is beautiful. And I know they're sending like Black Lives Matter in New York, I think New York City. They're sending out another delegation out mm-hmm. there um, to to support and bring and bring supplies and things. BX stand up all day, Bronx. All day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It, 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 it comes up. It comes New York, up, New York so. comes up a lot, and I have to do it every time. Yeah. It, at this point, it's more of an obligation than anything. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's a that's a beautiful show of solidarity you know showing up like they're asking for support they're you know you know they're showing up and that's that's beautiful um in terms of um latinx communities and 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 black solidarity i I think like that's i i I guess i just feel like it exists already i feel like i feel like our communities are so like tight like 
overlapping all the time that it's it's a beautiful thing which is great um i think we are there are a lot of cop watch trainings happening in in like organizations that i'm a part of and i think that it would be really great to um do more cop watching at like dui checkpoints for example mm. which definitely happen more in in, in south latinx communities mm. um trying to tar- mm. target undocumented right. folks um having more conversation about how to support folks um with ice raids yeah. um in different communities i think that would be really important conversations to have right like not necessarily saying like, all right, let's start doing patrols right now, but like just at least having inserting those conversations in meetings and in spaces, and you know, I think that that would be really a really great start. Yeah. So I and I don't want to put this in. I don't. I don't want to frame this whole conversation in a way that's like making you a spokesperson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think. But, the, but I do. I do think up with with what your installation is. I think it's, right. It's yeah, it is an interesting in entry point. To that. Totally. So where do you think the uh, just because for personally, I'm like ignorant in this piece like where are the kind of organizing centers that you see in uh whether it's latinx or other brown communities across the city like what's because we talk so much about a particular lens like what's the work being done in the city that doesn't necessarily those dots don't get connected that's an open question for both of you i just don't know like what are what are people doing non-black folks doing not directly in like the same movement but that's happening in the city Mm mm-hmm you. I mean, I, I would start with, I mean, I think that was part of the point of my question is that yeah. I don't know enough, yeah. uh, but I always start with OCAD. Yeah, um, that's what and, I was thinking And of. so, I, you know. I, Who are they? I'm going to let, I feel like mine would be better explained. And I'm not the guest, so I'm going <laughs> to cop out on this one. <laughs> You're not the co-host, Mark. They don't want to turn into you. I gave you the answer. We flipped the script. Um, organized Communities Against Deportations. They're mm. a beautiful, beautiful organization. Um, we're actually, so the People's Response Team, which is an organization that I'm a part of, we are doing a cop watch training with them um, in a couple of weeks at their um, monthly assemblea where they get all of the community members together that are doing the work. Um and we're going to do a cop watch training, uh, but with a specific lens on like what that actually looks like around DUI checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having these like specialized cop watch trainings, like I think people's response team is also trying to work with you medics right now to do a cop watch training. Um, but, but, but specifically looking at what does it look like to cop watch at the site of a gunshot or mm. gun shooting? Um, mm. What is that? What does that look like? You know, like how how can you actually cop watch at those intensive scenes in a way in a way that's like trauma informed? Right. right. Um Anyways, that wasn't your question, but <laughs> no, it answers part of it. That's like yeah. a concrete example. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that's just a question I'm going to keep asking for because I'm yeah. trying to like Learn. create like a more as we try to create a comprehensive picture of the folks doing the various kinds of work in the city. Mm-hmm. I think one thing we could do better is both like communally and then also just with the show is like start connecting those dots a little bit more well i also think that there's just like so many barriers right to like i mean this is something that i do in a lot of workshops with with young latinx folks is there are barriers there are reasons why we don't see you know because i'm always the one that's like you know latinx folks let's show up to black lives matter protests let's Mm -hmm. show up like where where are y'all at but then realizing that there are barriers like there are language barriers like that's the number one thing right um and there's like undocumented status um barriers of like you know, a lot of the actions are sometimes in front of a police station. So right, people are right. like, I'm not going to go over there. Yeah. I, you know, like, right. but what they don't know is that like you, an arrest is highly unlikely to happen, yeah. like just for like being out there and staying yeah. there, you know. Um, so doing just some like education around that. Um, You're actually probably you know? less likely to get arrested there yeah. than, than other places. Right, right. It's built in protection for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. I want to like 
before all we t- we we went through all these organizations and all these projects. I want to like go all the way back. Hold on, before we go back, I want to I want to stay in this umbrella one last <laughs> time. I did have a second question, That's cool. and and I want to like I. Ha- I guess this is more like a historical curiosity mm-hmm. in terms of like the temporary, and it kind of feeds into Daniel's first question around his own journey. Um, it, it, and it's it's more inward facing, right? So like I think so far we've been talking about you know brown identity and brown politics or Latinx politics um, in relation to blackness or in relationship to the state. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I'm more curious on like in, in inward facing mm-hmm. um, what I'm seeing externally. Right. Um, is that within Latinx identity, there seems to be like the pull around whiteness and brownness mm-hmm. um, that I think also intersects with anti-blackness as like a global thrust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how is that from your position uh, or from just your experience? Do you do you see that wrestling? Because um, kind of like. Where, like, to give context to the question, it's, it's from somebody here from Tanya Hasi Coates say, mm-hmm. you know, every five years, there's this, like, Let's Scare White People article of, like, in 2045, yeah. everybody's going to look brown. You know, like, <laughs> white people are not going to be the majority in America anymore right. because all this sex and all this immigration is going to bring back, mm-hmm. you know, a new face of color. And I actually don't think that's going to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, like, kind of what he says is, like, we've seen Jews turn white. We've seen Italians turn white, right? And as we see the George Zimmerman's um, and the Hernandez, right? Like who are actively on police force mm-hmm. killing black. Is, is that something that is happening within the community? Is there like a a a, a brown and white tension in, in mm-hmm. some ways? Because white identity is is possible within the Latinx. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, you know, there, yeah. A lot of a lot of folks have just pull the mic. Down oh yeah. A, little bit. a lot of folks have you know light skin privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely that tension, but I think that we're at a point where people are starting to discuss and like examine um, the mestiza of, of of who we are, right? Like I identify as mestiza, which is like I'm not <clears throat> I'm Mexican, but I wasn't born in Mexico. Right. But mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm I'm from, I was born in the U.S., but I don't necessarily identify as like American, you know. Right. So it's like the, this this mestiza of like who who how do I identify and how do I exist in in like my identity in reality is like that I am both colonized and colonizer, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm half Span- Spaniard and half Mexican, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm like, what, who, where am I? How do I identify? Um, but I think like, for example, Mexico just, just this last year started recognizing like um, black Mexicanas, Mexicanos yeah, as, a- as like an actual like identity and ethnic, an ethnic group of people. And it's like, you just now last year realized this, like, there are Afro-Latinx everywhere. Like, yeah. like so it's just, I, I love that people are starting to, to, like, recognize that these identities are very, very mixed and very convoluted and, like, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I think I don't, I think I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, a very complex question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the, what was the, the word you used for that kind of in-between of, like, you're born here, but you don't identify. Oh, mestiza? Mestiza, right. So in, in in that becoming the way you understand yourself, now let's do it. Now let's go all the way back. All okay. Right, all right. Um, <laughs> I give you permission. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's a team effort. Um, where for you, does this start? Where in the city are you from? Uh, where are you starting to... Let, let's start with that, and then we'll work to, like, where you start thinking about these pieces. Okay. Yeah, so I'm fourth generation, Um I grew up in South Chicago, 
um, and the east side, which is not the lake. Um, it <laughs> is an actual neighborhood of Chicago. <laughs> um, Sorry, east side. Yeah, I grew up around 95th in Houston. Um, then moved to the east side, like 104th and F. Um, and yeah, and then I went to school in, the, in Calumet City in the suburbs. Um, it's actually the um, suburb where Stefan Watts was murdered by police. Um, Did you go to school with Jose Olivares? He went, he's from out oh, there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did. You know Shuts him? Them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouts to Jose. He's Yeah. Shout out to And shout, to, shout to Jose's podcast, The Poetry Gods, with Aziza Barnes oh. and John Sands. That's that cross-podcast promotion right there. Shout out to P- Paris went to TF North, really? too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Oh, what? You got a little squad. You didn't even yeah. know. Wow. Chicago, <laughs> Chicago is just a suburb of North. Calumet TF City. North. <laughs> Word, so, so you, as long as we don't know anyone from TF South. Oh man, yeah, you're like it's, we we have to operate from a place of inclusivity. This is really important, unless there are our rivals. <laughs> <Less. laughs> <laughs> rivals. Right, so 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 that's where you grow. Up. I, I always like to ask like uh, a couple sights and sounds, mm. specifically like personal landmarks. Let's say in, in any of those places when you think about where you grew up, like what are the locations that stand out as like your your landmarks? Oh. Wow. Okay. Um, so in South Chicago, there. Just pull the mic down. Sorry, oh. I keep surfing. Does it just keep going up? Yeah. Hold okay. On. <laughs> it's because he. Broke I was like, it. "Am I like getting short?" <laughs> no, there. there now it'll go. gradually go up. All right. Um, All right. Let's see. South Chicago. I mean, South Chicago is the site of. I grew up a couple blocks away from the 1937 Memorial Day massacre. Oh, wow. so there's quick that. little history lesson. What's yeah, up? 1937 Memorial Day massacre. Um, folks were. Organizing to form a union outside of Republic Republic Steel, um, which was a steel factory on South Chicago, um, and they were having their Labor Day pic- picnic or Memorial Day picnic, Memorial Day massacre, and um, they there was hundreds and hundreds of families, young folks, kids, um, and they ended their picnic with um, wanting to march to the front of the Republic Steel, right, to like protest, mm-hmm. hold up picket signs, things like that, because uh, they were on strike, um, and. They were met with just total repression from Chicago Police Department. Mm. Um, Chicago Police Department actually fired into the crowd, killed dozens and dozens of people, including children. Um, But what's really interesting about this is actually, so there was two things, right? So the guns that the CPD were using were like not the typical guns that you would actually see from Chicago Police. They were very different. They Mm. were just a different form um and mm-hmm. also the bats the batons they were using were these like really long white batons which typically chicago police have like the short like brown mm-hmm. wooden batons right mm-hmm. um and then they also had tear gas and they were tear gassing the the crowd mm-hmm. and those wow. tear gas canisters said on them property of republic steel and the batons actually also said property of republican wow. steel so like it, this, it was obvious that like, you know, like capitalists, like industrialization, like all of that is intrinsically tied to CPD, CPD's protecting property, you know, like, and just that realization was, it's like, what? Like, yeah. and there's a little, there's a memorial statue right around where it happened. Um, and yeah, I, w- I mean, there was like a strip mall across the street where I would go shopping with my mom all the time. And I never knew what that was. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, how do you not, how do you not be an abolitionist? Like these stories. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what the, like, what else do we need like, to tell you? Like, this department still exists. <laughs> mm-hmm. There has been no, like, drastic change in how they yeah. operate. From Like, not even like, oh, they're the same thing. But, like, structurally, there's been no change in what they're allowed to do. <laughs> At or, all. Or what they, right? Or, right. And that was a long time ago. 1937. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And, like, what, and like to My that point. My grandpa was like, three. Of, like, 
you know, that department is still standing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that atrocious. And receiving group, more money. Right. And, and like, or for example, like we talk about like civil rights and like, you know, th- that movement and all of the like legislative victories. But no one talks about the fact that it was not the bus driver, the bus mm-hmm. company or bus riders that like caught that got Rosa Parks off the bus. Like they called the police mm-hmm. right. and that the police department still exists wherever, whatever actual right. town that was. Down there, Montgomery, 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 Montgomery. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Montgomery Police Department, I'm sure, still operates. Like, yeah, I'm sure that like that guy who right. arrested him, like his pictures in the walls. Oh yeah, somewhere. <laughs> yep, definitely. All yeah. right, America, just <laughs> we got some work to do. Folks. <laughs> All right, back to your life. <laughs> I'm sorry to so, talk about Rosa Parks. <laughs> I, I did see that. See that. Well, I'm I sorry saw, that I, you were like, "What are some yeah. landmarks landmarks of your childhood?" And I'm like, "1937 Memorial Day Massacre." <laughs> I think it gives some nice context, and also you know, Rosa Parks at this art game. We, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rosa always doing art. Chicago. Always doing art on buses. It's like what you're known for. <laughs> it's in a bus installation. Um, but to that point, like, what uh, what are some what what was the medium or or the space in which you started uh, like formally making things? Oh, okay. Um, so my dad is an artist, um, mm. and he went to the Art Institute. He's actually an oh, Art wow. Institute dropout. Hey. <laughs> art school dropout. Your dad's Kanye West? <laughs> oh, he went to Columbia, not Art Institute. Did they, did they give him a doctorate oh, 30 years God. later, 20 years later? Listen yeah. to the kid. Listen to my <laughs> Listen to my kids. Sorry. That could have been a joke. It didn't quite work. Go ahead. Yeah, so he's, he's, a, he's an artist, and he, he uh, was always making art when I was growing up, doing large-scale portraits of people, and... Um, I was always like, you know, young, like peeking over his like drafting table mm. and like trying to see like his technique and drawing. And um, yeah, like, th- you know, now 30 years later, I'm 30 years old now. Um, I have his drafting table and I utilize it for my oh, art making. Wow. Um, That's yeah, beautiful. it's beautiful. It's it's a piece of crap now, but <laughs> it's like I'm missing like half of a leg. So it's like, a, you know, propping it up. Um, so you have to do like a like a sculpture type thing just to like. Just like hold it up. Yeah, it's, it's still inspiring you. <laughs> this yeah. is actually not. I suggest you make the table into its own. Piece I, of should, art. I should. I should. I really should. That type of significance. I really mm. should. Um, and we'll have it at the next Bego event. Hey, Look at that. Anyway, <laughs> we can do business off there. This yeah. is very serious. Here. Um, um, but yeah, so I so I got started just like watching my father basically, and mm-hmm. I didn't go to. I have no like school training at all. I didn't go to school for making art. I, I like I was creating my CV actually, and I was you know writing like Monica Trinidad, like self taught artist basically, and then mm-hmm. and then someone's like self taught. How about community taught? Right. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> community taught artist. That sounds so. so much better on a business, right? Card, <laughs> but to yeah. that point, like, how, I, because I, maybe it's just through the organizing stuff you did. It, of course, it becomes the framework. But to have your 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 medium and your work be so grounded in in a communal process, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily something that gets taught in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just from talking to folks who have gone through that process, you get like that, like hunched over your drafting table thing as opposed mm-hmm. to like let's go make this thing together mm-hmm. um when did you realize that like that was how you like to make things that it, it had to be or you liked it to be with other people and in connection yeah um so there was definitely like a break between college and when i started i actually really just started making my art public in 2015 when i went to oakland when mm. i was telling you earlier um yeah and i because before that, I was just like, ah, you know, I don't really, I don't, I was just too shy. I didn't want to put my art out there. It was like too personal, you know, didn't, I didn't feel like it was like 
worthy enough to be public art. Um, but then I was also like kind of struggling with like finding my place in, you know, sort of the the movement for black lives, right? Like where where am I going to like insert myself in a way that's like responsible and accountable and, and things like that. And um, seeing the way that the Bay Area was creating massive amounts of art to uplift like current political movements mm. um, was beautiful. And I was like, you know, sh- Chicago has it. But it, but like it's mostly like white artists, right. um, and you know I, I wanted a way to sort of like uplift people of color and artists of color, black artists yeah. um, who are making political art or who just like are also making artwork but don't feel like they can put it out publicly because it's not going to be like worthy enough, right. you know, it's mm-hmm. not going to be valued. Um, so I started creating artwork that was uplifting like an action, for mm-hmm. example, or like a um, an effort or a campaign. Um, someone would ask me, hey, can you like, for instance, the Memorial Day Massacre? I created a piece of artwork for that particular event in conjunction with um, doing the Reparations Now or- Ordinance mm-hmm. Fight. Like there was um, Paige was one of the organizers of this pop-up art gallery um, where they were laying out like this legacy of police violence in Chicago um, in order to to identify that these are not isolated incidents of police violence. Like these are actually intrinsically tied. Like they are part of a long legacy, right? Um, so I was like, oh, sure, I'll create, a, you know, a piece of art around that. So that was like one of the first pieces I did. Um, organized Communities Against Deportations, they were like, oh, we really need art for our annual um, Coming Out of the Shadows rally where undocumented folks come out and like speak about, you know, being undocumented and unafraid. Mm. I was like, cool, I'll make that. I'll make that flyer. So then I made that. And then I just started feeling a lot. I'm like, it just felt right. It felt mm. like this is this is where I mm. need to be. This is my place. And it feels really good. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm learning more and more and realizing more and more, like beyond just like the optics of how it looks in the photos, like how important that visual piece that mm-hmm. that you and, and and that the whole uh, For the People Artist Collective, which we'll talk about in a second, has brought to, you know, whether it's actions or, or, or in all the other spaces where it comes in. Um, obviously, I think it probably depends on what kind of space folks are trying to build, but, like, is there a particular kind of feel or, or aesthetic that you feel like is more welcoming than others necessarily? So when you're thinking about making something for, whether it's a march or, you know, the activity at Freedom Square or whatever, like, how do you structure the kind of art being made in a way that brings people in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this. So, OK, so between, I have a lot of comparisons between the Bay and Chicago, which actually Miriam's going to be really mad about. I'm saying this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, screw the Bay. <laughs> Chicago is where it's at. Um, oops, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, so so I always think about how the Bay has like these art builds. Right. And it's like this 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 way of like creating art for a specific action or an mm. effort or a campaign but it, it, but including some sort of political education during this art build right like so you're creating posters you're creating banners but like also like why are we doing this and like what what does it mean to like to like have art like intersecting with activism and organizing right and so but here in Chicago we call them art parties they're more fun um (laughs) and so we do that as well like for the people has hosted several art parties for during the bayanita campaign um where we had just invited people over facebook to like come over make some banners make some art let's talk about this campaign let's talk about the importance of it and how important art is in this campaign like Mm -hmm. the visual effects of it um yeah 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 so what what are some some of the like lessons that come from that conversation right like Mm -hmm. To, to kind of trick people of like here do your craft here kind of like 
mm-hmm. you know, chill out. But now we're actually going to discuss why, what this is, but why this activity is important. You know, when you do that time and time again, what are some of the like base lessons that get distilled from those conversations of mm-hmm. why the people, how the people in the room process their piece, their their yeah. part. In the, in well, I think it's another example of just people not feeling like they have a, a role or a, or, a, mm. or a place in the movement, right? Mm-hmm. Like they like, oh, you know, like I'm white or I'm not or I'm not I'm non black person of color or um, or I'm just I just know how to paint straight lines. Like yeah. what what can I contribute? It's like showing people that anybody can join the movement. Like like we right. need everybody. Like everyone needs to join right now. And having art as a way, or even not just art, but just like, hey, you you want to bring food to our to right. our art party? Okay, cool. Like come come over, chill with us. Like you have that access awesome um congratulations you're part of the movement because you're helping you know um and i think it's really important just to like identify that and also to to to, like have these conversations around responsibility in the art making right and like and like messaging and like having Mm. these conversations around like like i've been seeing this a lot lately and i haven't had a chance to public publicly critique it yet but just like how i see people saying i stand with so and so or i stand with Mm. standing rock you know like it's just like can we use some more inclusive language? Maybe mm. like I support, like not everyone can s- s- literally stand um, having more inclusivity in our language. Like I support standing rock or I, or I am with standing rock, you know? Right. Um, so having those conversations are really important. Um, having the conversations around, like if people are trying to make a sign and someone writes, someone writes like, you know, black and brown lives matter being like, mm, we're not going to say that, right. you know, like here's why, you know? So right. those, those interventions are really really important and helpful and and doable through art making. And that's also a skill, uh, learning how to be the person doing those interventions mm-hmm, in a way mm-hmm. that is like loving and doesn't send someone running away. Exactly. And I think, you know, Damon, you even mentioned, you know, an example of it earlier. It's something that I've seen you, you, you do in this way where you're able to like make the space for that critique to happen and for to make it a learning moment without like attacking someone mm-hmm, and saying like, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Um, yeah. how'd you learn to do that? Cause people <laughs> really struggle with it. Myself included. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I, I think what I'm thinking of is like how I get a lot of white artists that are messaging us on mm-hmm. the, for the people, Facebook that are like, I want to join. How can I join? <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, I really appreciate that. It's called the sandwich, right? I'm giving away my secrets now. It's called the, the, the sandwich, right? You say a really nice thing. You're like, Hey, I really appreciate you like reaching out. Like I see your artwork. It's super important and super valuable. However, this is just for, you know, uplifting, um, and making, um, black artists and artists of color visible in this movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like I, I really, I really think that that's an important um, thing that we want to focus on. Um, however, here's a way that you can support us. You know, like there's like the Friends of FTP listserv. You can like right. join that. If we have a big banner making party, you're totally welcome to come. You know, just like I think just doing things with love. And that's something that Miriam Kaba actually ta- yeah. ta- taught me. You know, like she's all about saying like, I hate people. I hate people. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, me too. I hate people too. But at the same time, she she can yeah, hate man, people in the people, most loving man. way and I don't understand. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. She can be like, fuck you, but I love you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to like... Which I'm sounds so that. much like an R&B song from the mid-2000s, <laughs> but not in that way. <laughs> not in like a tormented relationship. Oh. But let, let's talk about, you know, Miriam's an Ergo alum and, you know, she, the, the, the pa- most brilliant. The patron saint of everything. Oh, right. yes. Um, it gets brought up. So how did that relationship relationship uh, Miriam Cabas who we're talking about did you see the postcard series I made of Miriam I did not see this postcard series it's four postcards and it's things that Miriam Kaba has said that have really stuck with me mm. and I created four of these so one says keep reading one says we have work to do mm. <laughs> one says hope is a discipline mm. and then uh, oh shit what's the last one <laughs> 
We'll leave it as a cliffhanger. We yes. can check the website. Check it out. MonicaTrinidad.com. Yeah. <laughs> Chad, what, what, what episode number was Miriam? I think that's like um, kind of our... It that's doesn't a t- get much better. Mm, I listened to that one like six times. Yeah, shout out to that one. <laughs> Appreciate that running the numbers up yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, if you've not you. checked that out and you're listening to this, then you should like you would absolutely love it. Go once you're done. Don't cut off Monica. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, Monica. Very we got some more. <laughs> listen to the rest of this because <laughs> this is hot fire. But <laughs> after this fire is uh, put out, go listen to Miriam Kava's interview. Ergo, yeah. How did y'all connect? Uh, you and her. How, how did that relationship build? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I actually emailed her at Project. Project Nia, gmail, hotmail.com or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I I really want to help. And is there any way I that, can show? That, I was that person. That I was person. that person. You have to get the sandwich first. And I didn't get, I got zero response. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, she hates me. But then she, I saw on Facebook, it was um, in 2014, there was like a, she held a, Prison Industrial Complex Teaching Collective, like summer intensive training. It was like every Saturday you would go to the Whole House Museum and she would have different speakers, including herself, talk about the prison industrial complex. And you had to like apply to get in and like, you know, talk about yourself and your history of activism. And so I applied and got in. Later on, I realized that everybody got in. (laughs) It was just like to show that you were committed enough to fill out the the paperwork. Um, You were like, I'm legit now. I was like, I'm accepted into the world of organizing. Debbie was, that's actually where I met Debbie. Yeah. And And it's actually where I met met Paige too. It's where, it's actually where I met a ton of the organizers and activists that I know now. Mm. That's where I met everybody. Um, So it was a beautiful, really, really critical moment. What is this? 2014? 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so that was where I met her and, like, just showing up. And she was, you know, amazing, nice, like, just doing the work. And that's when I was like, oh, so you just show up, you know, yeah. like, and that's <laughs> and that's what I always think of that email when I when I see emails from other people being like, I want to help and right, I want to support. Right, right. How do I join? And I'm like, oh, just come to an event. Just yeah. show up. Right. When you're invited. <laughs> when you're invited. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. important I, I think we're like, we're like talking about that playfully because I get that question all the time as well. And it's kind of like. It's like you feel limited because you're like, I can't answer that question for you mm-hmm. for real. Like I could tell you what we're doing mm-hmm. um, and 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 you can show up. But there's all, also something like it's something political about that. It's almost like the way that we treat the system like, oh, we need a representative. We need an alderman. We need an entry point mm-hmm. to like do this for us. We need police. Right. Like mm-hmm. to, to handle accountability and like the empowerment of what you are able to do. You need to actualize and enact. Yeah. And that is value. And yeah. that is what the work is. And then that's, that's the whole, totally. there's no other body governing right. this. Like we're all just people we're trying just to figure people out showing up, yeah. but we're doing it in relationship and community with each other mm-hmm. and are accountable to a group of people. So mm-hmm. just like come show up and be Absolutely. accountable for your, for your actions. Absolutely. Mm. For those listening, <laughs> just giving you some games, some gems, get your ass out the house or stay in the house and do something in the house. Yes. Make some art. Yeah. Exactly. That being said, we gave no announcements up top for things for people to come to. You know, at this point, <laughs> one, we're not week specific on what's true right now. Yeah. So y'all don't even know when this is. Dun, dun, dun. We recorded it in the in the past. Also, basically. like, let's be real. Like anybody who's getting on this is getting on it from the internet and any announcement we have, we have from the internet. So like to this point of like, what can I do? What is there to do? You have Twitter. You listen to Ergo. <laughs> you have Facebook. Check the event section. Yeah. Righteous also, anger. That's righteous anger. But also, much it. love to all my people that are doing. This is probably like my sister. Oh yeah, Good Friday. <laughs> Go check that out. I'm sure there's like actual things that should be announced. I'm an asshole. No, but back. So so yeah, that, that's how you met Miriam. Um, I, I want to go now to like the genesis of FTP because like once I like 
heard it. I think we, we were talking to Paige our last interview. And so I just wanted to know, like, when is the moment where, like, the name of Sada's Daughters came? We're big like, into moments, like, by the right? way. Right? Yes. Like, that, that yeah. is a poetic moment. It's, yeah. it's, I, I compare it to, like, it's the Belle Biv DeVoe moment. Yeah. Of, like, <laughs> when you were in the studio and, like, that first time they said, it's driving me out of my mind. They're like, oh, that's a hit. Like, right? Like, for the next 30 years, we're going to be able to tour and, like, feed oh, our children so funny. off this song alone, oh, right? Like, God. there has to be a moment where, like, this is... Poetic mm-hmm, magic. Mm-hmm. When did the name FTP mm, come I can't about? disclose that. You can't disclose no. that. Okay, what is the season but, of the genesis? But the the very the very general Can idea. Can you tell us where why you can't disclose it? Ooh, no. 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 Th- that was a very good follow-up. <laughs> hey, man. I commend you and I commend you as well, buddy. This ain't my first rodeo. Wrong. Episode 60, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work, though, unfortunately. But it was it was very much so inspired by Emery Douglas, who okay. is Minister of Culture of the Black Panther Party. Right. Um, he always said, I make art for the people's sake. Art for the people's sake. And mm-hmm. so, for the People Artists Collective. That's the that's the public. And are we not allowed to say the pun? The the double entendre? Oh, no, you, you. Yeah, okay. FTP. Yeah, doubles, yeah. doubles up. Okay. Yeah. Doubles right. up. Fuck the police for the Yes. For the will, you the tell us, will you tell us off the record where it comes from? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, <laughs> man. All right. <laughs> Go make your own podcast, guys. It's, not, it's not that exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So for the People Artists Collective, we love that it doubled up as FTP. Fuck the police. I want to I talk about that moment that mad like... Like, how did it feel though? Like, yeah. when, it, when it came, when it came your way of like, this is what we, this is what we could roll with. Oh hell yeah, let's roll with it. Yeah, no, it was like, definitely like a moment of like for the people. Yeah, because I'm Mary Douglas, and then we're like, wait, oh, <laughs> yes, fuck the police. This right, is like, amazing, and I, then we can have our little hashtag FTP yeah, everywhere we put our art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Bill, and Bill Biv DeVoe was playing in the background. <laughs> it was really but, perfect. Like it's one of those moments of like, how did yeah. someone not think of this before? Type thing. Yeah, like, how, yeah. How I did, did the Google search right. and everything. Like nothing came up, and I was just like. Like, all right, this is great. This is great. There's um, a uh, there's like a portable speaker called Ergo. Really? Yeah. Uh, Don't mm-hmm. sue us, guys. Don't <laughs> <laughs> or sponsor us. I still, I still have. We haven't talked to Emery Douglas yet, or like, ha, like I, I don't even know if he knows we exist. But yeah, yeah. a lot a lot of it is is from that. That's what's up. It's from his. Yeah. So uh, I know what y'all do in the context of like. Oh shit! We need brilliant artists yeah. to show up on a <laughs> two days oh, notice. Shit. Yeah. yeah, that's that's every yeah, every art quest. Oh shit! <laughs> um, how do y'all think about like basically being on call in that? Does that feel comfortable? Is that like part of the the mission? Is like mm. when people need you, you you're like the the artistically caped crusaders. Like, yeah. they or, show up? or are you annoyed with how disorganized <laughs> organizers are? <laughs> Or is it a yes? A little bit of A, a little bit of B. Um, Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm. How do I say this in the nicest way? (laughs) (laughs) I think. I think when FTP started, we were very much so about one uplifting, you know, black artists and artists Mm -hmm. of color, like right, like. Just like sh- like how important it is, like as Emery Douglas says, for artists to be on the ground, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he has that quote of like, you the artists cannot just sit in their ivory tower watching watching what's happening below them. Um, they need to be down on the ground. They need to hear the the laughter, the sounds, the cries, everything. They need to be in it. Um, and I was like, yes, that's so true. Like, and that's what makes us specific is we're not just artists, but we're artists and organizers, artists and activists, artists and cultural workers. Um, and that's a very specific. Um, uh, requirement for being in for the people, right? You have mm-hmm. to be organizing in some sort of capacity, and so so making making our artwork is one important because we want to make art and and these resources accessible to grassroots campaigns and orgs and, and efforts that don't necessarily have the means to um, afford 
like high quality graphic design or, or banner making or poster making or like just like don't want to pay thousands of dollars for that or just don't have artists in their collective mm. and they need artwork really bad. Um, and so that that was like that intervention is that's why we created FTP. Um, but we also I think we're starting to have conversations around how how can we how can FTP move on to this next chapter of providing the tools and the resources to these organizations in order for them to make their own art in future, mm. right? Like how can we empower folks or not even empower folks? I hate that word. Um, how can we like assist folks in? getting access to that skill and getting access access to that tool to make their own banner, right? Like, I think we've had, like, five art requests in the past couple months to make, like, five banners here, three banners here, two banners here. And so our artists are like, I don't want to paint another banner yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the next couple of months, yeah, um, which is so real. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of labor. You know, I was meaning to ask you, like, I'm think I need a banner. No, <laughs> no, no banners. Um, He's remodeling but, his career. He needs a banner on the wall. But I, I think we need to get to this point of like, our, like, us as artists, like, art and activism are intertwined, right? We know that. Right. Like, art is integral to organizing, right? It, art is not just your accessory to your action or your accessory to your event. Like, it's they, they go together, right? Like, as artists of color and black artists, like, this is part of our culture. They're almost incomplete without each exactly. other. Exactly, exactly. Like, we, we grew up at, at expressing, like, ourselves through art. Um, and I think we need, to, we need to stop this sort of, like, transactional thing happening with mm -hmm. with ftp and organize organizations like it, it's more than it's more than like hey i need a banner hey i need a poster it's it's about like how can our artists be part of your campaign and part of your effort mm -hmm. in a way that's responsible and accountable so it's, so it's not product based it's yeah not, so it's not how we're can not, our work exactly. live in that it's how can we as people be part of that yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah. i, I, I want to like i love asking questions about things people just said uh and I, I, I i've wrestled with that word empower as well as mm -hmm. like, you know, as a way to word, I think often like you get these women empowerment expos that are really like tokenizing yeah. in, in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so like empowerment has been like a big thing personally over the summer and mm -hmm. like wrestling with that word mm -hmm. of like, mm -hmm. it feels limited. There's something about it that feels kind of yeah. like superficial. Yeah. But the definition of it is what we are trying to like articulate right. most. So why why did you say you hate that word? And are you finding better alternatives? And is there a way that that like intersects directly with mm. what's going on with the work? Yeah, I think I'm just trying to steer away from words around power mm. and just like like things don't always have to be about power. Yeah. In a sense, like, like, yes, we are trying to build people power, like because of the powers that exist. But I think that there there are still ways to like to like build up our capacity as people without trying to create a, a power dynamic that's just as harmful. Yeah. I mean, um, the word that I keep coming to is facilitate. Yeah. I love that word. Which facilitate. is about like bringing people up to, mm -hmm. to like being side by side with you and like yes. making it, providing the means for them to make things with you mm -hmm. um, and opening the doors as opposed to like, yeah, having them like jump over people yeah. to, to be able to get things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also feel like it depends on who is saying it, mm. but the, like the word, like if I were like, I'm empowering these like young people to like make this yeah. art. Like it just feels very de like demeaning and very like patronizing. It's like mm -hmm. in all these poetry conversations, you always hear someone like, yeah, we gave them a voice. It's like the yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's like, nah, no, they had a voice. They had a voice. Bro. You just provided a platform. Shouts to all my terrible spoken word teachers out there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Looking at you. Um, so before we, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, but no. no, that was fast. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Um, but I, I'm thinking about the, you know, our entry point and so much of this, especially in that intersection, is around hip hop. Um, and and even the bad poetry, but especially the good stuff. But through that lens of hip hop, and I know you, in many ways, come from kind of a a punk framework and we haven't made space for that on the show mostly because i don't understand anything about it and i never have uh so have you heard my punk band i have not heard your punk band don't listen no we're putting it in punk band is this a joke? Are you, are you serious? I was in a punk band last oh, year. Yeah. Man. We're putting this in the podcast. This is happening. <laughs> right. This is going to be the it's, outro. Okay, music. I'll give you a link to a song. What's the What's the name of the band? Uh, we were called Cochina. That's right. Yeah, oh, so yeah. it means like dirty girl slut in Spanish. You're good at names. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> but so what, wait, were you a vocalist? Were you? A, I was. I, yeah. screamed, so I, I screamed. I scram. Scram. You know. <laughs> you scrummed. I scrummed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that world, like we I didn't said, do our homework. We should have been prepared. For oh, I knew. Have, I knew. I knew. Oh, I didn't do my homework. Yeah. I, I pronouns, never, please. I've never. I've never done my homework. I'm the one with the notes here. <laughs> I got like the notes in my hand. Prepared. That's why we balance well. Oh my gosh. But that world like i said i know nothing about that world especially in the city but there's mm-hmm. always like historically the like punk as resistance and hip-hop as resistance have always kind of gone side by side yeah. without really crossing over absolutely um is that a world that you like being part of here <laughs> is it a world that makes <laughs> That's you all angry? Other podcast yeah <sighs> and you have 12 seconds ago no, no! <laughs> you, got time. you got time but but like like what what yeah, is that how does yeah. that fit into resistance in the yeah city? i grew i mean i grew up listening to punk like that was just my thing especially in high school and i especially like riot girl mm. which i have lots of critiques of but um in terms of what like how like it was it was hard for me to figure out where my place was in punk because of, you know, my like being Latinx where like punk scenes are mostly white or the ones that I was frequenting at least. Um, and mostly, you know, cis dudes um, and very straight hetero. Um, and so it was really hard to like be in those spaces. Um, but then I started I met some folks that I organized Fed Up Fest with and Fed Up Fest, which happens every year, just happened this past July. It's a queer and trans music fest um, mm. of punk and hardcore music. But it's it, not only does it have like punk bands that are like queer and trans led or fronted, um, but it also you have workshops, you have folks tabling the organizations there, um, conversations around like anti-blackness and conversations around um, challenging like rape culture in in the scene. Um, and that was a very beautiful and that that's like I was I, I lived in that space like it was just mm-hmm. like the, a weekend of like amazing amazingness. And but I don't actually go to like a lot of punk shows just because I, I, I just don't feel completely comfortable. Um, but being in a band last Last year, actually, at my Facebook one year anniversary told me that <laughs> today I was getting ready. I was in actually I was in the middle of tour. Um, our band, we basically formed our band, practiced for a month, and then we went on a twelve city tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I like how you do things. That's great. And then we, and then we quit, and then we were done. That's so basically, crazy. you got like a traveling vacation making music with your friends. Basically, and it was beautiful. That's pretty good. Um, oh. Yeah, we went to Canada, went to you know East Coast, Midwest back um our, our tour van only broke down once which was 
you know, great compared to other bands, you know, multiple, oh, yeah. you know, shutdowns. Um, and yeah, but it, I actually was taking, I was writing a tour diary while I was on this tour because there was still a lot of like, even though these spaces are like, right, like you said, like a, spaces of resistance um, and like alternative culture, they still have so many isms in them, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's still like sexism, there's still homophobia, there's still transphobia. Um, as do, of course, all the hip hop, like every, every, just yeah, everywhere. As, hip, yeah. as everything, yeah, every subculture. Yeah, because it's, it's just so, it's like encroached on our lives. Lives right. and embedded in us um yeah and so i kept a tour diary just like ex- like ex- like talking about my experience at every show in every city um mm. and yeah it was really hard it, i mean there was like a lot there was like this one show where it was in the basement it was like mostly like hardcore bands and like it was like mostly dudes in the audience and like all of the bands were dudes except for us we were all women in the band um and we were like setting up and some dudes like hurry up mm. faster you know like it's like oh my god and um are you sure he wasn't on the phone giving encouragement to his friend biking there? <laughs> yeah, come to the show. No, no, no. He was being an asshole. These women are about to be amazing. <laughs> I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. But, but, maybe it, not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that yeah. whole but that whole world and I'll stop saying that I don't understand it because I, I, I don't, but like is there any like unique potential in let's say the kind of like that tradition that doesn't exist in some of these other organizing traditions that you wish like mm. you could figure out how to bring in. I think there's more of a focus on DIY and do it yourself, more of a focus on like we don't have to we don't have to operate within okay, so this okay, this article just came out about this band named Gloss, who actually we played a, a few shows with on tour. Um they just rejected um an epitaph record deal of fifty thousand dollars. Um and they said no. And this was actually like, it was like a private post that Sadie, the lead singer, had had posted. And mm-hmm. then it became news. And then the band was mad that it became news because people were starting to critique them and be like, you know, oh, like, you like you think you're better than us because you're not taking the money. And oh, you, you know, like that's privilege and things like that. But I th- there's one quote in it at the end of their statement that they made about it that was really beautiful. And it's like, we don't have to adapt to their world. We can create a new world with like within ourselves. And mm-hmm. I love that because like that is like, to me, that is what punk is, is that we don't have to adapt to that world. We can create our own right here, right? We can make our own um, materials through zines. We can make our own safe, safer you know, spaces through music and, um, and have a message with it. Like when I was, when I was going on tour, like we would start our, um, we would start our set by chanting cops, pigs, murderers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was trying to, I would gauge like the audience to see who would actually yeah. like chant along. <laughs> and if a lot of people chanted, then I would like in between each song, I would talk about all the different like actions and campaigns happening in Chicago. So people can like tap in. If it wasn't, then I would just be like, fuck 12. And then you would just scream in their face. Then I would just like scream in their face. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's Which a, can it's be important. probably yeah. pretty cathartic. <laughs> I'm sure they're like, they love that. Like, yeah, <laughs> scream at me more. <laughs> fuck me. Scream at me. <laughs> yeah, scream at me. <laughs> like I said, I don't understand it, but now I have a little more perspective. Yeah. Um, all right, thank you. Any uh, before we get out of here, like uh, anything we ain't say? Yeah, yeah anything you want to make sure gets included in this? I don't know when the show's airing. Uh, next week, so mm. next Thursday it'll be. So up. people can't come to. I'm going to be on a panel with Sleater Kenny. It's Corin Tucker this Damn, that's wild. Saturday. Wow. And I'm really excited about it because I grew up listening to them. Um, let's see. Let's see. Just where can people find your work? Uh, find yeah, FTP's work? Um, the specifics on the uh, installation? How long is that going to be? Yeah, up? the installation at the museum will be up from September 23rd until December 11th um, at the National Museum of Mexican Art. And um, you can see more of my work at monicatrinidad.com. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Monica T E A two. Um, yeah. Word. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for being you. Here. This, this was, was great. Fantastic. So much. Love. This was awesome. Appreciate you. We'll be back next week. I think. Uh, we'll be back sometime. We around. <laughs> We're around. Yeah. We ain't going nowhere. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>